Fanden. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. What's going on, everyone? Restaurant fiction just became trendy. We just became hip. You see why? Because we are talking about probably the fictional restaurant of the now. Everyone is talking about it. Everyone wants to be a part of it. There are still billboards to see this property everywhere. We are talking about none other than the fictional restaurant, the original beef of Chicagoland. Featured in the hit FX TV series, The Bear. That's right. It is so hot to trot. It just got picked up even for a second season. We're, uh, this is beyond Chicago, not just people. The great people of Chicago and Illinois are talking about it, but every single person on the planet is talking about it. They're not just talking about the characters or the episode, but they're talking about the original beef of Chicago land. And guess what? You're on Restaurant Fiction, the only podcast that reviews every single fictional restaurant bar and club in TV and film. So guess what? We are breaking down the original beef of Chicago land. And we are talking to none other than the showrunner of the awesome, acclaimed FX series, The Bear. Her name is Joanna Callow. We are breaking down the Italian beef staple. We are breaking down everything about the bear. We are just breaking down and just talking about how awesome and getting to know how incredibly inspiring and cool and badass Joanna is. Enough. This is our review of the original beef of Chicago Land on the hit FX currently running series the bear go all right you're in chicago the city the city of the midwest the best from the midwest and you see a sign and the sign is a rusted sign and the sign says the original beef of chicago land and you think just by looking at the rust and the fade you think this chicago beef place has uh has let's just say is decades old maybe even centuries old well (laughs) don't let that judge you yes the sign has been through the ringer just like the inside just like the restaurant itself but just because they did not create the chicago italian beef the quintessential sandwich that ties itself to chicago they did perfect it let me take you inside inside well let's just say uh it's a health hazard. I mean, the knives are dull. The funk that you smell is of burnt onions and cigarettes. All of the aprons that hang have stains of jardinera mix and grease. There are still nasty bits of, I don't even want to know, on the salamander and all of the burners and the fry station. And then, you know, just to be Chicago, there is what seems to be like a wrinkled old sports section of, uh, you know, Chicago sports teams and jerseys hanging. And of course, a couple of niche arcade games. Now, all of these red flags will 
they are red flags, but please ignore them because you're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's the beef, the Chicago Italian beef. All right. This Chicago Italian beef, what is it? How is it constructed? It is the toughest, the cheapest cut of meat uh, that is bought almost like in a drug deal gone wrong somewhere. And it is cooked low and slow, but first it is seared and then it is braised to perfection. And it is in between, you know, this beautiful, fresh, all made from scratch French loaves and with other accoutrements like jardinera mix and sweet and hot peppers. And then it is dipped in the this, you know, this vat of pan drippings that are very, very salty. And when your bicuspids, your teeth clench into this, let's just say a behemoth of savagery, it is dense, it is comforting, it is hearty, it is squishy, it is soft and it is sweet. Now, this is actually not the main reason to go to the original beef of Chicagoland. You think yes, but it is not. You see, if you are one of the few to go when the restaurant has family meal, when all of these soldiers who are cussing and yelling in this complete chaos sit down for a moment of time to let out their angst and their drama and their stress and actually just smile and say, you know what, we're going to contribute to what makes Chicago pretty goddamn special. Well, you're in the right place. And this restaurant does so with flying colors. All right. That is our little quick review of the original beef of Chicago land, the fictional restaurant featured in the FX show, the beer. We are talking to showrunner Joanna Callow. Joanna, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? Uh, what would you like to improve upon? The floor is yours. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like the vibe is right for sure. I, to me, when I see a sign like that, that is not a reason to stay away. That that draws me in. But when you see a sign that looks too old, that I always believe wherever I am in the country or the world that there's some special secret behind that sign, you know? So I think that's the only thing where I... I was like, what does he mean? I was like, no, 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 we're going. You see that sign, you run in. But and and the other thing I would say is the other reason you go to the original beef of Chicagoland is because you've been going there your whole life. And it's just what you think food tastes like. There's a, you know, there's that old joke, <laughs> which is that to Mexican people, Mexican food is just food, right? That the, the, the beef, the beef is just food <laughs> to the people of Chicago. In what restaurant experience in your real life is reminiscent of the original beef of Chicago land. I think, like I said, I I've made a life out of trying to find the best sandwich that I think will be hidden behind some rusted sign. I, I, that's absolutely true. But I, I grew up in a small town in New Jersey called Maplewood and there is a pizza place that is still there called the Roman gourmet. And it reminds me a lot of that. It's just the, the, you know, the patina, the people that have worked there forever. But yes, I think there's a million sandwich places all over the world, like the beef, which is why I love the show so much. I think it's, I think this is happening all over and we get to spend a little time there because of the show. But yes, the Roman Gourmet in Maplewood, New Jersey, I think is my, is my beef. The title character comes from those, those who don't know, comes from the Michelin star world, mm. you know, the Alinea's, the Nomas, et cetera, et cetera. These are tasting menu, foraging type of places. 
Um, he goes then, he transports himself into this dirty dive joint. Uh, what type of restaurant do you prefer in your own life? Do you prefer the Michelin star highbrow or do you prefer the, you know, the streets? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess if I have to choose, I have to choose, I would go streets. But like, the truth is I'm very, I'm very high low in my, in all of my life, everything. Like, so I, I've had some really spectacular fine dining experiences. I've been so lucky to have, I definitely seek those out and I definitely try to know about what's going on in, in our city, but that's true about the streets version too. And I think Jonathan Gold is actually like such a huge part of that for me. And Yes, the eating at every restaurant in Pico is was like life changing for me, and helped. You me. did. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You did the job. Oh, no, Gold. I didn't do it, but I but I've tried. You know what I mean? I and I'm and I've been greatly inspired by him and inspired by that by that way of attacking it, my own neighborhood and any city I go to. But I I think I kind of also am interested in how the fancy places change the city. And you know what I mean? I, I think like, I, I, I really, I think the one thing I'm very snobby about is sushi, especially because we live here and there are some just amazing places. And I kind of, I don't play around when it comes, when it comes to that. But for the most part, I am like eating a, a you know, a gross sandwich from a, uh, from, <laughs> from a gas station very happily <laughs> take us in the uh the world of the beer what does the food specifically say about the characters yeah i think sort of like what i was saying about the review the food has been the same for generations and i think that's what it says about the characters i think it says that these are people who are not particularly ready for the change that is coming. And, you know, I think Carmi and Sydney and then Marcus kind of are the change, but the food is constant and comforting and maybe not good for you, but good for your soul. And I think that's kind of how I feel about the people that work there before Carmi shows up. What makes the food stand out so much? Before Carmi or after? Go. I mean, it, yeah. you can answer it however you want. <laughs> I mean, I think to me, after, when Carmi comes, I think that food, you know, in, in in the way that it's a fantasy, but also in the way that when you go to a place and you find something special and you have this meal and you're like, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever had. Like, I think there's some things that Carmi puts out that are the best, best chicken piccata you've ever had. And I think that that's what's so exciting is like, is when you walk into a place and you think you know what you're going to get, and then there's something next level. I mean, that's just, that's just the fucking best. My friend and I took a road trip up to Portland and I think it was in, I think it was in Eureka. You know, it's one of those towns. There's just so many towns in between Oakland and Portland. And you like, cannot believe that California is that big. And we were hungry and we just literally went on Yelp and the the best the best rated one we wandered into and it was this amazing little restaurant with a brick oven and it was absolutely one of the best meals of my life and it's like a shitty i mean excuse me but like a 
a shabby looking place and it's like a in a shabby seeming block and then it's kind of like this next level thing and i think my god the people of eureka are gonna murder me i love eureka i love you (laughs) but um anyway i uh feel like the beef is the two sides of the spectrum of the constant of the consistent you know what you're gonna get you get it every time and then now that carmy's there really next level surprising stuff you know whether it is the beer and this is at any any phase of the creation of the show and the implementation of the episodes to any property i mean how important is like to know even if you don't show it what a character eats or what they're making like and what that says about said character yeah i mean i think that was a hundred percent essential to this show and we often if we didn't start from that at the at the very beginning of creation, like he's making this, it would, it would soon come in, you know, it would soon be like, well, what she's making matters and let's figure it out. But I would say I have not brought that to previous projects, but I will bring it moving forward a hundred percent, you know, like that even if I don't see them cooking, I will want to know what they eat. And I think it's, I think that's been one of the, the beautiful things of this process is it's really changed me as a writer. When you go so deep into a specific world, it just opens up your characters and your understanding of character, I think, going forward. But yeah, I mean, with, with this show, a lot of the times it was really about trying to know exactly what the menu was, what the menu started from and what it was going to be. Um, and then slowly building that. And like, for example, you know, the scene where Sugar is cooking and then that inspires Carmi where he's like, oh, she's making mom's chicken. What's my version of that? And that's the kind of food I want to put on on the menu. And so it was kind of showing how a chef might get inspiration from their past and then bring that into, you know, a menu. Um, And, you know, the same with obviously the pasta at the end and and Sydney's desires to bring her own family history into her cooking, that it just all comes from the things we've eaten and the things we were taught to cook in the past. And we thought it would be really cool to very specifically plot out where these inspirations come um, come from and, and what they lead to. You know, um, a couple of takeaways from that answer. That was a great answer. Um, number one is... Um, especially obviously in the finale, but throughout sprinkled throughout every episode, you have obviously all this chaos and yelling and there's fast beats, boom, 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 boom. But then there's some breaking bread brevity. There's this nice kumbaya for that split second, whether it's the eye of the hurricane, whether, hey, there's maybe some actual bliss, some light at the tunnel, doesn't matter. Characters are just on an equal playing field, breaking bread. What makes these scenes so important? I think we knew that 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 the family meal and the idea of family meal and the name of family meal was essential to to the show. And we really wanted to get it right. We wanted to try to bring as much authenticity. And obviously, no one person's experience is every person's experience. But I think often the way to really connect with people is to just be really specific and then see who connects to it or who says, well, that's not me, but at least I've made a connection in that it's, <laughs> in that it's not me. 
Okay, long-winded way to say that family meal is one of the building blocks of what makes a kitchen work. That it you you know that you do have a place to be quiet, to be cared for, to care for each other. And that I think in some ways is why people do it. It is it is the found family and it is a way for people to connect to food in a smaller way than let's make a let's make a hundred beefs all day. You know, it's like, well, what if I just feed you? And what if you just feed me? And what if we sit next to each other and just have a moment? I think maybe it also buys you <laughs> the ability to also then be assholes to each other. <laughs> um, you know, a, a little, a little, a, a moment of forgiveness, a moment of softness. How do you make, say, a restaurant more than just a place for characters to talk? How do you make it a character in and of itself? I mean, it's a good question. I think this isn't like a process answer, but I think we just love places like that. And so I think when you love a place like that, there are the things about it that are specific. You know, the the door... Um, that makes a lot of noise, the corner where no one can see each other coming this way or that, the toilet that doesn't work. When you love a place like that and you spend a lot of time in places like that, the the restaurant has its own flaws and its own wonderful, beautiful moments, like the light coming in in the bakery and the beautiful color of the mixer. I think like, I think ultimately the passion for those things just make them kind of easy choices to make and then they exist and then you play off of them and then you create a scene in the bakery and you know that you have the light coming in here and you know that the the mixer is that beautiful blue and so then all of a sudden it just kind of breathes life into a scene the bear heavily relies on characters chemistry even if the characters are yelling and cussing at each other how do you write that kind of chemistry on the page? I don't know that you can. I think that you need to have an answer in your mind of what the dynamics are for people. And we 100% knew that. We were sort of like, okay, this is the dynamic. Richie's, you know, he's the old guard and he and Tina are very close, actually close. And then he, you know, Marcus he's been there for less time and he kind of hates Richie, but also of course loves Richie. So we like had answers to all of that, but so much of what you see and so much of why the bear is good is because our actors are really great and they had a natural chemistry together. And part of that had to do with them just being nice people who were excited about the show. And a lot of them, this was a different kind of part for them or a, you know, someone in theater that, you know, hasn't done a ton of TV or someone who kind of has been part of, has been done more comedy and now they're doing more drama. It's like, I think those opportunities felt so exciting to them that that energy really just shows up on screen. So I think, you know, as for writing advice, it's like, make sure you know, make sure everyone has a unique voice. Each character speaks differently, even if they're using the exact same language, they need to communicate differently and make sure you understand what the dynamics are, but you don't have to spell it out if you hire good actors. <laughs> so just, yeah, write a bad script, but hire good actors. That's my <laughs> advice. 
Take me through like the writer's room. What makes writer's room like a kitchen brigade? Because there is an episode of the beer, you know, you have your, you know, your executive chef all the way to your garmage and your prep and your dishwasher. What, yeah, what makes it like a kitchen brigade? It's uh, absolutely like a kitchen brigade. I mean, um, I think it's definitely the friendly version of the kitchen brigade. But before the show, I was calling it like a baseball team, which is that you don't want everyone to play the exact same position and that you want people who can do different things. And even though it would feel really good to get five people that are just like you, that's actually not useful in any way because then they're adding nothing. They're just like, they're just saying like, yeah, good or whatever. Like, I think that, that that's so tempting to, to hire people that will tell you you're good and you should definitely have a couple of those. But I think for the most part, you want someone that's really great at giving notes someone that's really great at pitching jokes, someone that's really great at writing dialogue. And then you, you, your job as the head chef is to take everything from everyone and, and put it all together. I think the ways in which it's not like a brigade are the negative, you know, the negative connotations, but also there is a bit of a hierarchy. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that someone who's new, they might be more talented than someone that's higher up. but they also might have more to learn and it's okay to take some time in your lower levels and to listen and know that you'll get there in time. You're the showrunner. So how do you run your writer's room? Oh, with an iron fist. <laughs> um, just kidding. I spent all my time <laughs> hoping people are okay <laughs> and that they like me. <laughs> um, you know, I think each show is different, obviously, and it sort of depends on what you bring to the table, how much story do you already know? What arcs are you already really sure about? But I think my goal is to come in every day and sort of have a plan, but then hope that people come in with ideas and questions. Or I was thinking about the story we were talking about last night and I had this idea. So it's, 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 I try to make everyone feel as supported as possible so that I can get everything from them. I mean, you know, it's like I, I want, I want to make people feel that I want to hear everything they have to say because that's the job. The job is to pitch, but also hopefully behave with enough vague authority that they'll also listen when I speak, <laughs> which I think is hard for me. <laughs> Joanna, how did you, as a writer, uh, how did you find your voice and how would you describe it? I think that I feel very lucky in that I worked in television from a very young age. I dropped out of college at 19 and was a PA and was sort of just amazed by what being on a TV set was actually like and lights outside and all, all those amazing things. And I just read and read and read. I just read lots and lots and lots of scripts. And I did eventually go back to college. But I, I think that coming up from the production side rather from the agent side helped me stay focused on just writing what was in my head rather than trying to hit a target. And I think that I tried to hold on to that as long as possible. I, I also felt like when people wanted me to write something different, I, I just couldn't. <laughs> I've never been particularly good at sitcom writing, but there was sort of some pressure early on that like that's where the jobs were and that's where the better money was, honestly. 
but I just kind of couldn't do it. I wasn't that good at it. So I think I would say that I was lucky in that growing up and then finding my way into production, I was sort of always encouraged to just be myself. And that has always come somewhat easy to me, even if it's made me lonely at times. And I think that continues to serve me, which is sort of just listening to that voice. And the voice gets louder and louder the more you listen to it. But I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. The boring words I would use are grounded. (laughs) Grounded. Wow. That sounds great. Grounded. Hopefully entertaining. Hopefully unique. Oh, God. That sounds bad. But I think that's my answer. Hey, all these answers are great answers. I promise you that. <laughs> uh, I promise you. Uh, I mean, so whether you're writing your own stuff, uh, this is either developing and all that, or you know, reading someone else's work, like what kinds of stories stick with you? Yeah. I'm incredibly passionate about reading and watching female stories that feel authentic and different. I think as much as we kind of feel like we've transitioned into a time where women are allowed to (laughs) be on TV and be the stars and be flawed, I think we're still stumbling through it a little bit. And, And so when I see one that feels real or different, I get really, really, really excited, but also just surprising. I mean, I think we all feel so saturated with content And to some extent, that's amazing. And it's like the best thing ever that there's 20 shows to watch. But I also think sometimes you're like, feels like homework. So anything that that just feels different than something I've seen before feels so valuable. You know, you've been in this business for a minute. People will say, um, oh, Joanna, give me some advice on either being a writer or being in Hollywood. Well, how about this? How about we rephrase the question and say, what uh, say you're talking to a young emerging writer and they're saying, Joanna, what advice should I ignore? Okay. So the advice I would say to ignore, especially when it comes to being in a room is like, you've got to get your voice out there. I think as a writer, you have two jobs. One is to consistently cultivate your own voice and to write as constantly as possible in in your own voice. But when you're in a room, it's your job to serve the show and be a good employee. So I think sometimes these days people are so concerned that if they don't make their voice feel be incredibly loud and that they will get overlooked. And I think it's you've got to do both at the same time. You have to make sure you're you're serving the show rather than putting yourself first. I think the other advice I would say to ignore is you can write all kinds of different things. I think when you're starting out, it's easier to be packaged, meaning let your manager, let your agent say, she's exactly this kind of writer. She's great at this. This is the one thing she does. And because of that, sometimes people end up having three scripts that are very similar. And if that's what you want to do, if that's what you love, great. But if you have this desire to also write horror, to also write a drama, if you want that, you should try to do whatever you want (laughs) and kind of force people to see you when they're asking, at least to see what you have, you know, that you that you bring a lot to the table. Joanna, that was awesome. That was incredible. 
You are welcome back all the time, anytime, whether it be season two of The Bear, whether it be whatever creative property has a fictional restaurant bar club in it, you are welcome back. Anyway, guys, gals, listening, check out The Bear. Do yourself a solid. If you've already seen it, watch it again. There's probably something new to learn from. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing with your life? You're wasting it. So get on Hulu, get on FX, get on wherever you need to watch The Bear and just watch it. Do yourself a solid. I mean, pretty much the universe will thank you. The universe will be on your side. That's where you can find and experience Joanna's work. Or if you want to watch any of her past work, go on her IMDb page. She has a plethora of awesome credits. All right. Thank you very much for FX for hooking this bad boy of an episode up. For more episodes of Restaurant Fiction, well, you found us here, wherever you're listening to them. Find us, all of our 70-plus episodes, wherever you found us. I don't think that really made sense of what I just said, kind of like life. So I guess what I'm trying to say is nothing makes sense and nothing ever does. Peace. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. 